Merry Christmas. Oh, come on. Like, we're two days away now, you know. Merry Christmas. So, so much better. Uh, as we enter this fourth Sunday of Advent, um, I, I want to jump right in this morning. Before I do, I, I just say as we gather for worship, we're worshiping Christ. And he truly is the love that changed the world. And we're going to finish our Advent celebration tomorrow at Christmas Eve. So I hope that you'll be here for a candlelit service. It's going to be a beautiful time. In his coming, though it was long and awaited, uh, we had 400 years of silence broken. Centuries, four centuries of silence broken and darkness pushed back. The death and the grave defeated. And we had the promises of God prove resoundingly true. And what we've studied, what we've looked at in this coming of Jesus is that we have received hope, we've received love, we've received joy, and finally today I want to look at how much peace we've received for people living in a broken world driven by selfish intent. Peace, like true peace, can be incredibly comfortable and comforting, but more than that, eternally sustaining. Amen? How many of you know someone who needs peace? Well, much, much like the Bible has always proven true and in true Jesus fashion, the peace that we're talking about that came with Jesus is more than just the bow that's tied around the end of a Hallmark Christmas movie. You know what I'm talking about? It's more than just that comfort that we seek in an alternate reality, it is the comfort that gives us an ability to sustain through some of life's most difficult things. I'm going to read from Luke 2, verse 21. It says, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, I want to stop before I read on. What I want to explain to you is that Eight days after he was born, it was required by law for he and his father to go in for circumcision. So Jesus goes in to be circumcised on the eighth day as a custom with the law. But someone is not present. It's his mother. And this is very important because when I read the next line of this scripture, I want to tell you what it's saying right now. You see, because the sin that followed the woman from the garden was that of childbirth. And there's a lot of blood lost during childbirth. She would have been considered lawfully unclean. That during this 40 days following the birth of her son, she was not allowed to go out into public. She was unclean. And so she had to go through the ritualistic time of purification where her body began to right itself to where she could be publicly present again. And so when I read... And, when, and, and now that the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, you know what I'm talking about, okay? That she and her husband have come now lawfully to consecrate their son before the Lord. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms, meaning Simeon, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to the, and revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to his, Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for a sign will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your soul, your own soul also." The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel in the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband for seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart the temple, but uh, served God with fasting and with prayer both night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him and all those who had looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Two new characters are introduced today. We just read about them, Simeon and Anna. And they're incredibly important surrounding the story of Jesus' advent. But they are two important figures because they affirm the peace that we say comes with the coming of Jesus. And they encompass the final points that we're going to look at today as we inch towards Christmas and tomorrow's Christmas Eve. You see, law required our first point. Law required the testimony of two witnesses. You see, in Deuteronomy 19, I just want to read from there. I'm not going to have the scripture on the screen. You're just going to have to listen. It says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits by mouth. Two or three witnesses on the matter must be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall be standing before the Lord, before the priests, and before the judges who serve in these days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry, and indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do unto him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away evil from among you. What this is saying is simply this. It was required by law and the responsibility of the religious right, the Pharisee, the, which was both religious and ruling system, judiciary and religious, simultaneously. Experts in the law had a mandate to find the truth. If someone made an accusation, and let's imagine that accusation um, is infidelity, which lawfully was uh, required death by stoning publicly. Let's say that it was infidelity, was accused of a brother or a sister, and she or he were to be stoned publicly to death. Before that stoning could take place, it was required by the judiciary system, the religious leaders, those who were lawful, to present a second witness to bear, or third, two or more, to bear witness to this accusation, and they had to get to the bottom of it. They had to find if it was true or not, because someone's life was on the, in, the, in the balance. Someone's life depended on it. And it says that if so, if that person is found falsely accused, unjustly mandated, then the accuser would suffer the fate 
equal to that which he had put on his accused. So, if I lie on someone about infidelity in their system, and no one can step forward and be a second witness to prove what I've said is true, or if I have paid other people to lie as well, and they find that I have, I will suffer public execution, death by stoning. We all in agreement understand what's going on? So this is really intense. Big deal, okay? Big deal. Two witnesses are required for the truth. Jesus himself was challenged by the religious leaders when he showed up uh, in the temple. And he spoke of himself in John 8. The Pharisees have already started, because he had done this once before in John 5, to build a case against him. They want to ensnare him. They know what their law says. If someone's lying or blaspheming, it means public execution. So if they can just catch him lying and no second witness can present itself, then they have him. And in John 8, it says, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true for I know where I came from and I understand where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from nor where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, well, where is your father? Present this witness. Show yourself true because what you say of yourself, not only for God and about God, presenting yourself as God could nothing, be nothing more than blasphemy. We have you. He says, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And that day, no one laid a hand on him for his hour had not yet come. So Jesus has this ability to speak with such authority, such eloquence that even the religious leaders stop their plans when they thwart or get in the way of God's sovereign timing in things. You hear me? It was not time for Jesus to go to the cross, so Jesus speaks with authority. Though another uh, witness is not presented, he speaks with authority about the Father, and everyone marvels because, because the, he says, the Father bears witness of me, and if you knew the Father, you'd understand. But you say and hold to your laws, and you hold to the religious status that your laws give you. And see, that's what we're really fighting against here. That's what we're really up against. Because... What the law has given you as experts in it is status. What it's given you is riches. What it's given you is reverence of the people because they don't know what you know, but I do. And Jesus speaks with authority to them in such a way that it silences them in the temple. The people are astounded because they don't see him seized immediately and drug out to be killed because he can't present a second witness. They simply watch the Pharisees cower. Hello? What I want to say to you when I say peace comes and it's different than what we may have thought it to be 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we also know that Paul would often in his epistles write to the New Testament church and he would say, peace be with you. What Paul is writing about in this piece is more than just, like we said, a pretty bow tied around the end of things. What he's talking about is in the midst of certain persecution, may you find inner strength that can only come from heaven so that you endure. May you be willing and strengthened by heaven to make it through the things that are about to take place in your life. And how many of you remember hearing about persecution in the early church? How many of you recognize the persecution of Jesus right here? How many of you also see at the birth and presentation of Jesus 40 days after his birth, God knows their laws and it is required to point to that which is true. Two witnesses present themselves and Jesus presents, the the father presents two witnesses on behalf of Jesus. A man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, who had served faithfully, who had been told by God that he would not die till he saw the consolation of Israel or the comforter, the one who would bring peace, the Messiah, and he presents Anna. So a word on, a word on both of their testimonies, okay? So one, how many of you would like to be told in advance how things are going to go? How many would love to know when your end is near? This man had a relationship with the Lord that was so faithful that by the power of the Spirit filling him, he was given eyes to see as God did, and specifically in one way. When your eyes hit the Messiah, you'll know it inside. At the presentation of Jesus, he is beckoned by the Spirit, it says, to go to the temple on this day. Now, I don't know why he would have otherwise gone because this is the presentation of a child. He may be there for sacrifice, but we know this, Scripture reveals, that he was urged to go to the temple that day and he shows up. How many of you have ever been led by the Spirit inexplicably? I just feel I need to talk to this person, I need to go this way. So he's being led by the Spirit into the temple that day. When he sees Jesus, the Son, immediately his Holy Spirit radar goes off. And inside, he goes, this is the thing that you were promised. This this child, the one that you were told by God you would see before you died, is right here before you. This is him. The consolation of Israel. The promised Messiah to fulfill law and prophecy simultaneously. The completion of things. It's him. He holds and he prophesies to it. And his prophecy, his testimony is different. In fact, it would shock all of the religious elite there. Because what he said was different. He said salvation for all peoples. This would have sent shock through every Jewish scholar present who were proud of their status as God's chosen and arrogantly anticipated a kingdom where they would one day rule the dogs, the Gentiles, and the infidel, the Samaritan, their enemies, their human enemies, where these people would bow at the altar of Judaism. So when Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, promised that he could rest in peace once he had seen the Christ, he could go on to be with the Father, gives testimony that this child 
will be salvation for all peoples. Can you imagine how angry these people just became because what just got challenged? Their religious system and all their status. Everything that they hold to that points to them ultimately for glory is now gone in this prophecy. And they don't like that. How many of you recognize that's the actual story of the garden? You can eat of any tree here, just stay away from this one. Now what became mostly the most enticing thing around? Come on. Don't touch the stove, what do you want to do? Don't tell me what to do. You know, like, you could, just don't say that. You know, eat of any tree. Just don't tell me the one I can't eat of. Now I can't think about anything else. Don't be a God that tries to withhold with me from me. What kind of God is that? Surely you won't die. You know what that God just told you? You're not worthy to be God. And why would he withhold that from you? He's just afraid you'll be like him. You should be God. And we bought it hook, line, and sinker. And these religious leaders whom Jesus has not only been challenged by, who seek to ensnare him, right here get challenged at the very prophecy of the child before Jesus even spoken a word to them. This one will change everything. This one is the redemption, the consolation of Israel. This one will be the redemption for all mankind because everyone was created in his image, whether Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, black, white, purple. Every one of them created in the image of God and not one here need be a respecter of persons because God is not. And your status is to be ruined because it robs glory from God. There is one king of kings and one lord of lords and he just showed up in the flesh. And he challenges your status. It's going to be brought low. And guess what? They didn't like it. And that's why Simeon said he will be a problem. He's going to divide like a sword many in Israel. But he will also be the hope of many. The question is, is he our hope? Or does he, like he did them, challenge our status and everything that brings ultimate glory to us because we like them still suffer with that garden tendency and we like them still want to worship ourselves amen a little bit different peace story come Christmas time here we go The mindset that Jew and Gentile and Samaritan would worship together under one covenant in one place challenged the, the Jew well into the New Testament. We saw the New Testament birthed, the New Testament church, and it was birthed under persecution. And we know that the, the word says that it's not flesh and blood that we battle against, but rather principalities of the dark. So every time the enemy brought more persecution against the church, what happened? The church just went rampant. It grew that much more. The tighter the enemy tried to take the noose, the more the church would free. 
The message of the gospel would continue to make ripple effect. And this is what Simeon said. His affirmation came in the form of a widow. As he said, a second witness presents itself under the authority and the providence of God. Anna, a woman who was married, but after seven years of marriage, her husband dies. And she commits herself as a prophetess to the temple. Daily, her characteristic was that she would fast and pray in her name. I love it. Her name's derived from the Hebrew, Hannah, meaning grace. When she steps in and she sees the Christ child, her words are this, verse 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, many people annually in Judaism would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem because of keeping with the law, whether it be festival, feast, or sacrifice. They would pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but they weren't the only ones there. There were Jew and uh, Gentile, and even the most brave of Samaritans were present in Jerusalem at the time. There was the court of the Gentiles who had a curiosity about the Lord, the God of the Jews. They were pluralistic in their worship if it wasn't of self. And so they were like, what does this mean? And God intended this prophecy to hit their ears as a light to the salvation. Because not only did he say that he's coming to save all mankind, Simeon, Anna says that it's for redemption for all who seek it in Jerusalem. All who are present here. All mankind. Not an elitist group who thought at one day you would be worshiping at their feet. It's not simply for them. We grew up in a Western world where this this truth about the heritage of what is taking place here gets lost a bit. Some of us, this may be new information, and that's great. I love it because I love to learn new things. But we can't just take this and go, knowledge is power and feel better about ourselves and immediately take a status place of self-worship. I I caution us in that. But what Jesus is saying and what Anna and Simeon are prophesying about Jesus is, is this, that Jesus came for all kind, all mankind. And I I know this is going to be a shock to most of us who grew up in the Western world. Are you ready? Jesus wasn't white. Hold on. What? We are still in America, right? Her testimony continued to all seeking redemption in Jerusalem. No matter their cultural background, no matter their skin color, no matter how they had been raised religiously. He was here to free all mankind from bondage. And the Jews should have known it most of all. Because their heritage is is not anything more than a story, a narrative of God redeeming those in bondage. The exodus. Babylonian captivity. People freed from bondage. And now... Not as an act of political activism or to change a cultural order. God has sent the Savior to free us all from the one thing that enslaves everyone who calls this place home. Sin. 
and our desire to be God ourselves. He came to free us of that and give us peace from that battle. Hello? So our testimony is their testimony. Peace. It said the angel spoke to them and said, and suddenly there was an angel, a multitude, which we talked about last week, of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We understand that this is better translated men towards men of good will. Now, I want to go a little further with what I just talked about a moment ago. When, when Paul would write in the Hebrew to, or in the Greek, to the New Testament church, you need to understand that he was raised Jewish. So it is with that heritage that he also extends this greeting. Whenever a Jew would greet someone and they said the word peace, in Hebrew this is shalom. This is more than just may comfort be with you. May this look the picture of the Hallmark movie. That is not what he's saying. What they were saying is this. May it be in your life as it was in the garden before it all fell apart. May it be in your life a return to the garden before we decided to challenge God for his throne. Shalom. See, in this context is the, is the peace that enters the world. And this is the greeting by which Paul sends new covenant worshipers who are Jew, Gentile, and Samaritan alike. May it be as if it were in the garden. Now, this is something in the West that we can actually really understand. Why? Because we are known for our revivals, right? How many of you, I have issue with this, by the way. Not that I have issue with revivals that are authentic. I have issue with massive Uh, Jesus pep rallies where we get people together and we never teach what the Psalms taught about redemption of sin or what the gospels teach about the redemption of sin. We don't teach God will save those who are broken in heart and contrite in spirit because they recognize their lives are constantly trying to challenge the throne of God. And so they feel and feel deeply like concern and remorse for the fact that their sin and their self-worship offends a God who loved them and slaps them in the face. See, those who go against you and you alone have I sinned will truly be saved. But see, we during the 80s, 90s, you know, during, still do it today. We got together and we put people in stadiums And we told them things that weren't that. We told them things like, if you've tried sex, drugs, rock and roll, just try Jesus, it's better. And we just equalized the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to something material and temporary. And we said, if you just try it, you'll have fire insurance. And that's really what you're in this for, is escape hell. You don't want eternal condemnation. So, so if you just pray this prayer, we'll hand you a water pistol by which you can storm hell, and you'll get out of here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. I have issue with that, and I'm, I think you hear it. Because that's not redemption. 
That is not peace that returns us to the garden. If, if we find ourselves broken over the throne that we challenge for him all the time, and we lay ourselves at his altar going, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm unclean, I'm an idolater. And we go, forgive me. And he willingly receives us because of the work that was done by his son on the cross. Because Jesus came to die so that we could live and have peace from the bondage that we had placed ourselves in. And when we hear a message that says, just try it, it's going to be better. It, when you read the parable of the soils, you recognize that that's, Jesus is actually teaching against that stuff. In fact, three of the four responses in that passage are lost. People who heard the message sprung up and when life actually happened, how many of you recognize life is hard? When life actually happened, it choked out what God was trying to do. And those people will perish. But one who finds themselves face down at God going, save me because I cannot save myself. You came to die so that I could live. That one. Forgive me for sinning against you and you alone. That one. That one will have eternal peace and a return to the garden that was intended, but even more so than that. Heaven now, internally, and inner strength when we come against strife that is evident. Jesus said, if you align yourself with me, the world will hate you. When we saw the birth of the message of the gospel going into and forming a new covenant, what did we see? We saw nothing but persecution come against it because it was challenging everything in the world status. And so persecution, people were thrown in chains, people were dying who were choosing to be of the way because they recognized that what Jesus said in John 14, 6 was, I bear witness of myself because I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the consolation of Israel, and I am the redemption for all who seek it in Israel, all mankind. And so... So, our testimony is peace because we need to have something that sustains us from within when we come against true conflict and persecution for the name of Jesus. Otherwise, we don't endure. See, God said he'd give us a helpmate, one to indwell us. The very power that raised him is present in us. In Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of that Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. So he says, Be fruitful, whether by word or by fruit, May your testimony be peace as his church to the rest of the world. And here's, here's what I, I want to open our minds to today. This morning, we have a tendency to believe that persecution is something that we talk about in the past. As if we look back upon it. We talk about it as a, as a past event. Like the early church we recognize as persecuted. Here's why they're persecuted, but that doesn't exist today. This is us again being Western. It was two weeks ago that uh, it got published. Uh, Timothy Keller sent it out, and I 
read it, immediately stopped and prayed. That a pastor, his wife, and 100 members of a church in Changdao, China were taken and cap- were incarcerated or went missing because they worship Jesus. It says here, uh, over 100 members of early reign covenant church in Changdao, China were arrested on the beginning of December 9th, Sunday. And at the time of this publication and translation, arrests are still being made to this church. And those taken away were Pastor Wang Yi and his, uh, uh, the pastor of early reign and his wife, Zhang Rong, who have, been heard, have not been heard from since that Sunday. And apparently catching word, apparently being tipped off that this might happen, Pastor, Pastor Wong wrote a letter to his church like Paul wrote to the epistles. Knowing that he would be thrown in chains, incarcerate himself, and at this point, let's be honest, he may not be with us anymore. He wrote these words. On the basis of the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. God deposes kings and raises up kings. This is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. As a pastor of a Christian church, I have my own understanding and views based on the Bible about what righteous order and good government is. At the same time, I'm filled with anger and disgust at the persecution of the church by this communist regime. And at the wickedness of their depriving people from the freedoms and religion and of conscience. By changing social and political, sorry, but changing social and political institutions is not the mission that I've been personally called to. And is not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. For all hideous realities, unrighteous politics and arbitrary laws manifest the cross of Jesus Christ. The only means by which every Chinese person will be saved. They also manifest the fact that true hope in a perfect society will never be found in the transformation of any earthly institution or culture, but only in our sins being freely forgiven by Christ and in hope of an eternal life. As a pastor, I firmly believe, firmly believe in the gospel and my teaching, my rebuking of all proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of our glorious King. Every man's life is extremely short. God fervently commands the church to lead and call any man to repentance who's willing to repent. Christ is eager and willing to forgive all who turn from their sins. This is the goal and the effort of the church in China, to testify to, a world, to the world about our Christ and to testify to this middle kingdom about the kingdom of heaven. To testify to earthly, momentary lives about heavenly, eternal life. This is also the pastoral calling that I personally have received. For this reason, I accept. And I respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. As the Lord's servant John Calvin said, wicked rulers are the judgment of God on a wicked people. The goal being to urge God's people to repent and turn again towards him. For this reason, I am joyfully willingly to, willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the laws as though submitting to the discipline and training of the Lord himself. At the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is greatly wicked, unlawful, and an action that should be ceasing. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly, and I do it severely. 
The calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey those human laws that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying said wicked laws. But this man does not, but this does not mean that I, my personal disobedience and the disobedience of the church in any sense is a fighting for our own rights or political activism activism in the form of civil disobedience because I do not have the intention of changing any institutions or laws of China. As a pastor, the only thing I care about is the disruption of man's sinful nature by this faithful disobedience and the testimony it bears to the cross of Jesus. As a pastor, my disobedience is one part of the gospel commission. Christ's great commission requires of us great disobedience. The goal of disobedience is not to change the world, but to testify to it about another world. Knowing that his incarceration was imminent, his breath may be ripped from him. His wife's as well, and a hundred members that we know of to this day and still counting have either been incarcerated or gone missing. And here's the thing. We have a tendency right here, right now in our comfortable existence where we have the freedom of religion to worship, we still have a belief that that is another church. When the Bible says we are one body, that that is our church. Our pastor was just taken into incarceration or his life taken. He just happens to serve in China. And had the resolve and lucidity of mind to write an encouraging note to his people to further the gospel even if this horrendous act takes place. This is the peace that we're talking about. This is the peace that entered the world when Jesus came. It's a peace that gives you resolve during certain persecution possibly even death. It's the kind of peace that Paul was able to look to the centurion guard when he ran in and God supernaturally sent the earthquake to free him. And the centurion guard runs in wanting to kill himself because of what will be certain for him. And in the darkness, he hears, Paul, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Why? We're going to sing praises to our God who has freed us today that you may know he freed us. But we willingly submit to the laws that that same God, that sovereign God has allowed to be placed over us temporarily. But we serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We don't serve you, but we will submit. We have resolve. We have peace in the midst of this certain persecution how many of us pray that things don't go wrong God just let it be okay how many of us have the resolve that we're talking about the kind of peace and mission that this pastor in China can write about and encourage his church to continue in even if it means costing them their life because Listen, he said, and he, he didn't say it here, but he's alluding to, he's implying this, that those of you who are in Christ have been freed. You won't even taste death. Even if they try to take your life from you, you'll just 
be absent from the body and immediately, listen, what? Be present with the Lord. What a gift. Amen? To be free of the bondage of this place and the, the pressure of worshiping ourselves and the sin that comes that offends a holy God who gave his life that we might be freed of it. Why would we continue? We have peace from that pressure. Peace from that bondage. And we have a tendency at Christmas to only treat the peace that we sing of as the end of a Hallmark movie. And it meant so much more. So this morning, our eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. It was testified to by two witnesses because God sovereignly saw fit to reveal the truth. The redemption of Israel, the promised peace on earth towards men of goodwill, both Jew and Gentile alike. He is the Christ, the Word of God. He is Jesus. And this morning as we respond, that's who we respond to. We don't respond to anything here. We don't respond to the band. We respond to Justin. We don't respond to anything other than him. He is truly the reason for this celebration in this season. And it should be the reason that we continue. But listen to me, that's who we respond to this morning. So when we come in response to this altar and we find ourselves face down because we have challenged him for the throne, we go, God, have it. I don't want it anymore. I can't take a throne that's rightfully yours. And he goes, peace, freedom. When we come to the cross and we say, I can't take it anymore. The burden's heavy. It hurts. I need prayer for this. Please pray for this church. And it beckons the prayers of the faithful, like the letter this pastor sends to the church. Then we pray for it as deeply as it was asked. When we sing praises to him or put praises on this cross, it's because he came to die so that we might live and be free of the bondage of self-worship and sin that offends him. When we come to the altar, to the table of the Lord, and we look at the elements that represent his body broken, his blood shed, we go, God, if you so choose for the sake of others be freed by the message that freed me, so be it, I enlist. Thank you for what you did for me. This is what it means to do so in remembrance. If my body be broken, my blood be spilled, I have peace because I won't taste death. I live because you died and you came to die for me. Amen? So it is when you gather at this table with your family or friends of families or you be led by the Spirit right now to pray for another in this room, it is because you are being urged by the Spirit of God that sent Simeon into the temple to testify and be one of those witnesses. It was the urging of the Spirit that Anna prophesied. It is the urging of God that we respond to right now. And I also want you to say, when we deny that urge, it is against him and him alone we sin. Amen? 